get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome to the show. It is Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto and across the TSN radio network. I'm Andy McNamara. Give us a follow on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. If you miss any of the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on the TSN1050.ca show page. Nice show for you today. we got Scott Cullen from TSN.ca with Heroes and Zeros. And statistically speaking, now he's going to lead off the show. We're mixing it up this week. Usually it's Travis Yost. He is in transit, so we're going to talk to Travis Yost in about 45 minutes. And we'll uh, get Travis's thoughts, his unique views around the National Hockey League. Jeremy Davis, writer for Canucks Army. Our, one of our technical producers, co-producer, Grady Sass, big Canucks fan. Uh, they are certainly an interesting story. So we'll get Jeremy Davis's take on the Vancouver Canucks and uh, the Western teams. Also, friend of show, Rob Volman, author of Hockey Abstract and Stat Shot, columnist for ESPN.com and NHL.com, will be by in about a half hour time. Rob's been on the show, this is season four, I think every year to promote the book. It's such, it's such a great product. So we'll talk to Rob about his newest edition uh, of Hockey Abstract. He sent us a copy of Stat Shot last year as well. Great book. We'll tell you how to hook that up and uh, get your own copy there. But uh, let's talk with uh, Scott Cullen in just a moment here. We'll have uh, producer Sean Lavery get Scotty on the line for our Heroes and Zeros. And when you look around the, uh, the National Hockey League early on, and we look at it's it's still of course so early right we we'll be saying that until what late december but you see let's say the maple leaves the hot star people stanley cup contender now bit of a bit of a skid right 5 and 5 in their last 10 and we're seeing things start to to shuffle around a little bit what i still find fascinating is the start for the vegas golden knights like just unreal at 8-4-0 uh let's head to our Phone line now. We got Scott Cullen from TSN.ca. Scotty, how's it going? Awesome, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. You're leading things off, buddy. How does it feel? Uh, I'm feeling the pressure, but uh, <laughs> and I don't have any food takes for you, but right. uh, we'll see what we can do. Well, you know what? Let's start it off with everybody's favorite. It's time for the best, best. and worst of the NHL this week. Hockey Analytics Heroes and Zeros with Scott Cullen and Andy McNamara. Oh, it sure is. Okay, Scotty. Darnell Nurse begins your heroes. Yes. I mean, he only has three three assists in 12 games, so this is about more than just scoring. Uh, he's taking a big step forward for the Oilers uh, with Andre Sicario. Um, the Oilers are getting better than 60% of the shot attempts with Nurse on the ice, better than 63% of the goals. His ice time is up two and a half minutes per game over last season, and he's increased his own shot volume uh, and is moving up the Oilers' depth chart. Um basically because they're, they're trying to fill in for Sakara. They, they tried uh, Matthew Benning there earlier in the year and uh, didn't work very well, but Darnell Nurse has uh, stepped up and been a, a really uh, important player for Edmonton, uh, even as they're kind of struggling to find some answers. And Scotty, one of the great things about Heroes and Zeros, I like, we, we, it's not like you always go to, all right, well, Sidney Crosby's great. You know, you, you, pick, you pick guys 
That'd be pretty boring. I, I try to go for the deep cuts here, Andy. <laughs> exactly. And so to the Florida Panthers, a Russian winger for this one. Tell us about Evgeny Dadnov. That's right. Dadnov. Um, making a really successful return to the league. He's a 28-year-old who spent five years in the KHL, uh, but through his first dozen games, uh, he has 14 points. Uh, hmm. And Panthers have better than 59% of shot attempts, 64% of the scoring chances when he's on the ice. Now, look, he's in the old Yarmir Yager spot, playing with Jonathan Huberdeau and Alexander Barkov, which obviously helps. But that enough pulling his own weight. And, and you know, he offers basically a, a completely different um set of skills to, to Yager. I mean, they're both good with the puck, and that's, but Yager was this plotting guy who could protect it, and Dadnoff is, you know, quick and darts around the offensive zone, and um, but it, it seems to be working uh, what he's uh, been able to provide the full, for the Florida Panthers. So we got the best. Now let's go to the worst of the week, and we start with Corey Perry. Yeah, and you know, this is interesting because coming off of last year, like it was, last year was a down season for Corey Perry, but there was still reason to be optimistic about this being a bit of a bounce back for him because he was generating shots, uh, you know, had a low shooting percentage last year. Those are the kind of things, that, you know, maybe that could bounce back and, he, and he'd be all right. Well, he's off to a tough start this year. He had two goals in 13 games, but the biggest concern, he's down to two, uh, two shots per game. That's his lowest since his mm. rookie year. Um, and, now, look, there have been a lot of injuries in Anaheim, and Ryan Getzlaff has missed a bunch of time, and that's probably affected the quality of line mates that Perry's had to play with so far. But his shot metrics, like he has a 43% Corsi, 42% of scoring chances, suggest that his scoring production uh, has been well-earned at this point, that you know he isn't uh, really on hard luck at this point. The, the two goals in 13 games is kind of what he deserves. Well, Scotty, uh, Ryan Johansson envies Corey Perry's output <laughs> of two goals because he has zero goals and six assists in 13 games. That's right. Oh. Ryan, Ryan Johansson, who used to be a 30-goal scorer. That's right. And so, But one of the things that has happened to Johansson in Nashville, and uh, look, he had a pretty good year last year, but he's really he's stopped shooting the puck. And um, he's down to a career-low 1.4 shots per game this uh, this season, as you said, he had no goals and six assists in 13 games. Half of those assists are on the power play. So we're looking at a guy who who plays 19 minutes per game. Obviously, some of that's on the power play, but it's the second highest ice time of his career, and he's managed three regular uh, strength assists in 13 games. Like this is not uh, what Nashville was hoping for out of Ryan Johansson. I mean, last year, uh, centering the line with Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson, that was you know one of the better lines in hockey. And, and so I think Nashville certainly came into this season with expectations of, of similar production. And they're not getting it right now. Okay, that was Heroes and Zeros. If you missed any of that, again, you can go to the tsn1050.ca show page. Once, once TSN Hockey Analytics is done, we'll post it there as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud. In conversation with Scott Collin from tsn.ca on Twitter at TSN Scott Collin. Okay, Scotty, let's talk some Winnipeg Jets here, man. 7-3-2 and two to start the year. They're scoring in bunches. Where do you see them finishing off the season? Because, well, as I said off the top, we'll be saying it's early to the end of December. So let's just get that, you know. But how, how do you see this Jets team? How are they built? Look, I, I like the Jets a lot. I mean, I, I've been on the Jets bandwagon for a few years, but it's always been it's always been undermined by goaltending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they've had a, a roster in terms of forwards and defense where you could say, yes, this is a playoff caliber team. Um and, you know, again, this year, I think, yes, they're a playoff caliber team. And, and I do think that somehow between Connor Hellebike and Steve Mason, they have enough goaltending. Uh, Mason obviously got off to a terrible start. His first three starts of the year were, were just awful. Uh, but Hellebike, uh, stepped in and has been really, really good. Uh, you know, 938 save percentage in nine games. Certainly, I don't expect him to continue to play at that level. 
but between the two of them, they should be able to get league average or better goaltending. And I think that's, you know, that's really all they need you know, because um, their depth of talent is, is strong. You know, the, I know when we were, I think it was a few weeks back where I had uh, their one defense pairing of Tyler Myers and Dmitry Kulikov were zeros. Um, but I also look at, you know, if you're a team that that's your third defense pairing, you're probably, you know, okay overall. Um, yes, they needed to play better than they did right at, at the start of the year, but I think um, that kind of talent um, is pretty enviable. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, they they lost Matthew Perot to injury and they mm-hmm. dip into the dip into the minors and go grab Kyle Connor, and, and Connor stepped in and, and been a productive player for them right away. He's playing like 18 minutes a game. He has five points in seven games. And, you know, th- that's the... I guess one of the real strengths for, for Winnipeg is, is that they have this depth of talent that, I mean, we, we talk about it even with the Maple Leafs sometimes, right? Is that they have these pieces where, you know, oh, somebody gets hurt. Well, all right, well, Josh Levo moves in and, and you don't miss a beat. Well, the Jets kind of have that with uh, being able to go grab somebody like Kyle Connor and, you know, you, you're not missing a beat in your top six. And, uh, and so they've had all this success and they're doing it, you know, even though Patrick Laine has in, been in a bit of a slump, yeah. um, you know, and he's kind of bemoaning his, um, you know, his game overall, you know, well, what's difficult for you, Patrick Laine? Well, hockey, hockey is difficult, <laughs> you know, like he, he, he's, he's, yeah, well, he's just, he's feeling pretty down about things, you know, because he has, I think, five goals and, and two assists in a dozen games. Like, that's obviously not quite what, what he would expect. But the fact that the Jets are having success despite Line A not, you know, having huge numbers, I think that's, um, you know, that's a good indication for the long term. So I'm I'm pro the Jets making the playoffs this year, but uh, I, I was probably on on board for them making it last year, too, and I came up wrong. So, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we temper my enthusiasm just a little bit. Right. Well, it's a great point you make, though, with Patrick Laine struggling. With the Jets being able to do well, you know he's going to come out of it. He's going to turn it around, you, you hope, anyway. And when he does, and you still have that depth, and you're not playing catch-up on the season, that's got to take some pressure off of him, too. Well, I think so, and and this this goes to the, the talent that they have. That you know, they they you can run a line that has like Euler, Shifley, and Wheeler, and and wow, that's really great. But then you still have well, I, I think Connor is actually playing up there. But between those three guys, and then you have uh, Little and Line A and Connor, and you have that kind of group of six forwards that they sometimes do some uh, mixing and matching, um, you know, of, of wingers moving up and down, like you can afford to have one or two of those guys go through slumps because the other guys are going to pick up the slack. Yeah. Like right now, um, you know, Shifley and, and Wheeler both have seven points in their past four games. I think, uh, I think both of them have recorded hat tricks over that time. Like it's, um, you know, there aren't a lot of teams that can boast the kind of talent that the Jets have up front. So I, yeah, I'm still pretty high on, on Winnipeg's chances. Last one for you here, Scott, John Tavares. Fire. <laughs> Four, 14 points in his past six games. And this is, we talk about the depth of Winnipeg. I, I, it's safe to say Islanders aren't, uh, aren't that stacked. You got, you got John Tavares, who is just running wild. We know that that type of point streak isn't uh, sustainable. But with, with Tavares, sometimes you just need a little reminder about how good he is. Because I still feel he's one of those under-the-radar superstars sometimes. Yeah, in a way. And you know what? I think this is, is the reminder is important for this year because he got off to a bit of a slow start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you know when you you know he comes out of the gate and I think when you have three points in six or seven games like you know nothing terrible but certainly not uh, the kind of things you expect from your franchise savior and uh, and then all of a sudden you know it, it's kicked in and he's been uh, he's been on fire. Um, 
the past couple of weeks. And and as you say, they don't have you know this amazing depth of of talent with the Islanders. But um, Tavares does seem to have a pretty good connection with guys that he's been playing with quite a bit yeah. over the past few years. Ander, Anders Lee and uh, and Josh Bailey, who, who's back on his line. Um, you know they maybe this is part of the reason that Tavares struggled early in the years that they, they kind of shuffled around some guys on, on the right side. Like Jordan Everly got a shot there. Um, mm-hmm. and it, and it didn't really, uh, take, um, and, and I think they even gave Josh Hosang, uh, an opportunity, uh, for a game. And, and so, you know, maybe in their attempts to find somebody to play on the right side with, uh, with Tavares, it, it kind of hampered his production, but then they said, okay, well, let's go back to the line that, uh, he's comfortable with from last season and you know they're they're all tearing it up right now um you know Tavares Lee and Bailey have all been on a uh, a pretty good hot streak over the past few weeks and so um yes I I don't have kind of the the same glowing uh (laughs) report for the Islanders overall but you know to the to their credit I guess is that they still have uh, a real franchise number one center in John Tavares and he's you know, kind of reminding everybody with his production lately. Yeah, about what he can do. Uh, Scotty, people can find your work during the week on tsn.ca and on Twitter at TSN Scott Cullen. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks, Andy. All right, that is tsn.ca's Scott Cullen. We'll take the break. We'll head out west. Canucks Army writer Jeremy Davis. We'll talk about those Vancouver Canucks and swing around some of the teams out in the western part of the country. Jeremy Davis coming up on TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 and across the TSN radio network. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. They get one through here and Berchi in front. They score. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara, and you are listening on TSN 1050 and across the TSN radio network. You can get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud. you miss any of the show, you can get it there or on the show page at TSN1050.ca. Well, you heard a Bo Horvat call there. Let's head out west and talk to a writer for Canucks Army, Jeremy Davis online. Jeremy, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good, man. So let's. Uh, we'll we'll get to plenty of Canucks in a moment, but I want to go over one of the cooler things that the uh, the fancy stats community has really opened the door for. It's draft analytics and how we can use numbers to help filter players. Can you tell us about some of the statistical project that you've helped construct? Sure. Yeah, I've built um, worked on two main ones over here at Canucks Army. Uh, the first one would be PGPS, which stands for the Prospect Graduation Probability System. That's uh, one of the, the big ones. Uh, it's, it was born out of the ashes of, of another one called PCS that was made by a couple of smart guys, Cam Lawrence and Josh Weisbach, who went on to get hired by the Florida Panthers, and sure. their, their system is now uh, proprietary. Uh, so I did a lot of work to try and reinvent it, and it's been about two years since they got hired, so it's evolved a whole lot since then. I've incorporated a lot of different adjustments into it, and, and what used to be kind of, it's, it's based on a similarity model. So it's, it's a cohort system. It takes players' uh, score stats from this year, and it compares them against every player that's played in that league over the past, say, 30 years or so. Okay. And then it'll give you 
a likelihood of success and the likelihood of, of how much how much production they'll produce at the NHL level. Right? And uh, it uses a, a similarity factor. It used to be about three different uh, stats, and now I incorporate about nine or so. Okay. So that's one of the things that we use. And another one is uh, seal-adjusted scoring, which is because um, PGPS is, is, is a little bit... Uh, it can be inflated or deflated based on the bias of coaches and stuff like that because the success of prospects has to do with more than just what they do, but it, what uh, coaches assume that they can do. Right. So deal-adjusted scoring takes a bit of a different route and adjusts for things like situational play, like uh, first and second assists, uh, power play, scoring, even strength scoring, and then adjusts for era and age and league. And it spits out like a nice round number that you can compare all different players from different leagues, uh, different age ranges, different years, and uh, a nice easy number that you can compare against. So have you been able to measure the success rate of the model so far? Is it still too new? Uh, it is pretty new. I'm not a, a professional statistician. I do have a little bit of a background in university-level statistics, so I have some idea of how to measure its value, and mostly that involves running formulas on players that played in leagues 10 or more years ago and then comparing the results of those to how they actually performed in the NHL using correlations and, and R-squared goodness of fit equations to measure variance, and the results have been quite promising. It varies by league. So generally speaking, the more NHL players a league has produced, the more accurate their predictions from that league will be. So the model's ability to predict the success of, say, players in the OHL is, is very high, as it is for other CHL leagues, the American League, NCAA, uh, Sweden, uh, the top Swedish league, and so on. Just because they produce NHL at such a regular rate over a large period of time, you have a very reliable sample size to work off of. Some leagues aren't quite as predictable. So, say, uh, leagues that have changed in their ability to produce over time, like the Finnish Liga produces NHLers at a much higher rate now than it did 20 years ago, as does the USHL, which is now producing NHLers at a rate that's better than the uh, Quebec League, actually. Hmm. But because it didn't produce NHLers very well, uh, say 20 years ago, which is where I'm looking at uh, players in the to, to compare against. Uh, it's not quite as reliable as some of the other leagues, but some of the leagues are, are getting quite good results. In conversation with Jeremy Davis, writer for Canucks Army. Uh, Jeremy, the uh, term zone starts off and gets a lot of merit in the analytics community in terms of how players match up and who may be sheltered or protected from tougher competition, the frequency of the zone starts versus shifts that begin on the fly. In what way do you feel that zone starts can be somewhat overvalued? Uh, I think there's a, a, an intuitive tendency to place a lot of value onto zone starts because it's, it, there's, you know, it seems like starting the offensive zone or defensive zone is going to make a huge difference to your numbers. I think one of the problems that gets associated with it is what you mentioned there, the difference between zone starts and shift starts. So mm-hmm. not just face-offs, but the amount of times that you're actually starting your shift. A player that plays 20 minutes is only going to have about 25 shifts in the game. About 60% of all shifts start on the fly. And of the remaining 40%, almost half of those start in the neutral zone. So you're leaving only about 20% of all shift starts starting in either the defensive zone or offensive zone. So now you're looking at maybe five to eight shifts per game. So the number gets quite small. So when you're looking at uh, zone start numbers, it's normally displayed as, as a ratio of just offensive starts to defensive starts, and it can look fairly extreme, especially early in the season. But really, uh, if you're having 
say, a 60-65% zone start ratio 15 games into the season, you might only have had 10 more offensive zone starts than defensive zone starts. So I think that plays a large role in why it gets overrated. There's also uh, there's been a lot of studies done on this by really smart people like Michael Blake McCurdy and, and Matt Kane. And one of the things that they found is that almost all of the benefits of zone starts occur in the first 10 to 15 seconds. And after that, it just becomes like a regular shift. Oh. So, yeah. So the the benefits in terms of, of shot shares and, and possession numbers, they, they peter off pretty uh, significant or pretty quickly. So we have methods. Uh, you can find it on, on Corsica or on uh, Natural Statric of, of uh, adjusting for zone starts as well as other adjustments. And uh, the adjustment over the course of a season is pretty minuscule for the most part. It only changes players' uh, possession numbers by 2 to 4%. So a lot of times you might see something like, well, it's really like maybe this guy had a 45% uh, Corsi rating, but he started so many of his shifts in the defensive zone. Okay. Really, it turns out that the effect is, is pretty minimal, and that player is probably going to have a, a negative Corsi rating no matter how many shifts he starts in any zone. Okay, Jeremy, let's get over to the Canucks here, okay? And the t- you're, you're right for Canucks Army, so it makes sense. The team begun the season much better than most have expected. First, how much can you equate their start to head coach Travis Green and his new aggressive style? It's, it's kind of hard to, uh, put, uh, to quantify for that, but yeah. I, I think it's having a, a tremendous effect. Uh, that aggressive style that you mentioned, what's really interesting about it, the fast-paced style, it's predicated on attacking as opposed to counterattacking, which is what Willie Desjardins was all about, hmm. is that that is doing a tremendous job of limiting chances in their own end. Uh, the the difference between how they're doing now compared to last year in terms of, uh, like, say, Corsi 4 rate is a little bit better, but the major difference is they're limiting chances a lot more. They have one of the best... Uh, the lowest shots against numbers in the league right now and, and one of the lower goals against numbers in the league. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they're not sitting back and waiting, but they're constantly moving. They're going after it's five men up, five men back all the time, and there's constant movement. There's no waiting around. I think for some that might catch some opponents off guard, maybe because they are expecting the Canucks to play a certain way. So we could see that peter out a little bit over the course of the season, but I, I do think there's going to be a a fairly substantial effect that's going to stay this way because of the change in style. Last one for you here, Jeremy. Let's talk Bo Horvat. He got the big contract at the end of the summer. He, so far, as of Saturday, so 12 games, 4 goals, 3 assists. How are Horvat's underlying metrics fared with the way that Green has been deploying him in his role? Uh, well, to be honest, he's getting run over a little bit right now, and that's not necessarily a new thing. His underlying metrics haven't been particularly good in any of the three or four years he's been playing in the NHL so far, and we're still hoping that they're going to uh, bounce back a little bit. In other years, Sam uh, Berchi has helped him in that regard, and in the, his nine-game stint last year with the Canucks, Brock Besser, when the three of them played together, they had actually quite good underlying numbers. That hasn't carried over so far. Uh, all of the uh, defensive abilities that he was lauded for in junior haven't really carried over into the NHL quite as much. So his his offensive ability has been really impressive and been far above what most of us expected. But unfortunately, his defensive ability hasn't quite kept up with that yet. So in terms of uh, a point rate, we're seeing 
over the past uh, calendar year and a bit, um, he's producing at almost the rate of a first-line center. And his wingers are producing on kind of borderline first-line rates as well. The problem is they're getting outscored a lot. So the more that you play them, the worse the uh, overall differential is at this point. Jeremy, great chatting with you. Tell people how they can find you on uh, Twitter, Canucks Army, and all that. I'm actually not on Twitter right now, so you won't be able to find me there. Okay. But you can <laughs> find me on Canucks Army. It's CanucksArmy.com, and if you really are interested in my stuff in particular, there's a Voices of the Nation drop-down box, and you can find my name on there. But uh, really, it's nothing but good stuff all across that site. Good stuff, man. Really appreciate the time. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, thank you. All right, Jeremy Davis, writer for Canucks Army. As he said, you're not going to find him on Twitter. You go to CanucksArmy.com and find all his great work. Fascinating stuff there. Okay. Friend of show Rob Volman is up after the break. Author of Hockey Abstract and Stat Shot columns for ESPN.com and NHL.com. The newest edition of Hockey Abstract is out. Stay tuned. Rob Volman coming up on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Comes to Stamkos right circle, right corner, Kucherov, SCORE! A scramble play in front and it leads to another Kucherov goal. And it is 6-0. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. Across the TSN radio network, I'm Andy McNamara. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, the show page at tsn1050.ca. If you missed any of the show, you can follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Welcoming back friend of show Rob Volman on the line. He's author of Hockey Abstract and Stat Shot, columnist for ESPN.com and NHL.com. Rob, welcome back, man. How are you? Oh, it's uh, good to see you, Andy. Good to talk to you. And uh, congratulations on uh, another ticking off another season as the Let's be honest, the greatest show out oh, there. Oh, wow. Well, th- thank you, my friend. Yeah, season four. If you, I think we've talked to you every season. So it's like a tradition to have you on. And uh, a pleasure as always. And listen, we got to pump this out. Uh, people, be sure to pick up Hockey Abstract 2017. Great holiday gift. It's available in English and French, electronic and physical copies, all through hockeyabstract.com. Calm. So a terrific holiday gift. You, st- you sent me last year the Stat Shot book. Like, uh, so much great material you're putting out there, man. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I only come on your show when I have a book to plug, but I always have a book to plug. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's why it's a, our our seasonal visit. But we'll make sure to have you on at least one more time before the end of the year. Um, let's look through the first chunk of games. So most teams are hovering around the, the 15 games marked, uh, played so far. What are some of the biggest surprises to you early on? Well, in terms of, uh, in terms of teams or in terms of individuals? Uh, let's go individuals. Well, actually, one of the, I know everyone hates plus minus, and I know plus minus is a stat you have to put into context before you can use it. Yeah. But I did notice, I think it was yesterday, that Chris Letang had the worst plus minus in the league uh, at minus 13. So here's a player playing on, you know, the defending Stanley Cup champions. He's playing with great players. So it's not like he's being dragged down playing for a team like the Coyotes or something. He's out there with great players on a great team. He's getting lots of points. So he's getting lots of pluses. But he's a big, fat minus 13. And he's an individual I thought at one point was actually just outside the Norris mix. Hmm. 
Interesting. Now, from a team side of things, I think early on, like we got to give a big thumbs up to the Vegas Golden Knights. Like eight and four for an expansion team. That's got to be shocking. Yeah, they're they're no doubt they're off to a great start. Uh, there's a few factors in that. I mean, they've had a lot of good bounces. I mean, that's yeah. a lot of one goal wins. And uh, and furthermore, if you take a look at their their schedule, they played a lot of their early games. They had a long home stretch, mm-hmm. a lot of games against non playoff teams. They even played Boston before Bergeron came back. So, but they made the most of that opportunity. But I think uh, nobody is fooled by this. I think everyone knows they're going to drift back into the pack sooner rather than later. Well, yeah, and we've seen the la- as of Saturday they have lost three straight, so maybe that coming back down to earth has already begun. So, uh, but nice to see, nice to see a new team get off to a to a good start. Uh, let's look at the Toronto Maple Leafs here for a second, Robin. Uh, one of the most productive offensive units from top to bottom, very deep. What's allowed them to create goals efficiently this year? Well, there's a couple of things, and uh, you know, in Hockey Abstract 2017, I. I mentioned really Toronto's goal for this season would actually just be to uh, entrench and and uh, and maintain the success that they earned last year, as opposed to trying to take the next step, just trying to, you know, ink in uh, the progress they've already made, the leap they made last year. Uh, obviously, they have a lot of really, really good young offensive players like Matthews and Marner and Nealander and several others, but they also have a lot of veterans that can score as well, like Van Riemsdyk and Kadri and Marlowe. And so not only do they have a depth of scoring, which I think supersedes almost any other team in the NHL, but don't forget they also have Mike Babcock behind the bench. Mm-hmm. Coaches never get the credit they deserve. But if you don't believe me, take a look at the teams Babcock has coached in the past. Take a look at their goals scored before Babcock came in. Look at it drop after he leaves town. So I think a lot of people aren't really putting enough emphasis on the Babcock effect. That's a great a team that is not benefiting from the Babcock effect right now. The Edmonton Oilers, a favorite, one of the favorites, to win the Western Conference or at least get to the finals at the start of the year. 4-7-1 start. Fans are starting to get a little itchy on the panic button there. Rob, are you, did you, is it time to, to, to push the panic button? What do you think is behind the slow start? No, it's not time to hit the panic button at all there. A lot of their underlying numbers are just fine. They're off to a slow start now. Statistically, the challenge for a team with a franchise player like Connor McDavid, it's never Connor McDavid and his line himself. I mean, he's doing fantastic. He's on pace, again, to be up over 100 points. So you never have to worry about the franchise player. What you have to do is worry about how to get a secondary scoring threat. So the teams with franchise players that manage to build that secondary scoring threat, like, for instance, the Pittsburgh Penguins, building that second line around Evgeny Malkin, uh, you know, they go on to win Stanley Cups. But the teams that fail to build that secondary scoring threat, that fail to build that solid second line, uh, like, say, think the New York Islanders, that never really got that effective second line after John Tavares, you know, sometimes they struggle to even make the playoffs. So the onus in Edmonton is to try to get a second line, to put the weakest players with McDavid and just let them go and then focus on trying to make it that second line. Once that's in place, once that's humming, once that's kicking, I think you'll see the Oilers shoot back up into the playoff mix. In conversation with Rob Volman on Twitter, at Rob Volman NHL. Let's go to Tampa Bay here. Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov continue producing... Um, now, when you look ahead to the rest of the season, do you think we're going to look back and, and fit, they will finish the year as the most dynamic duo in the National Hockey League? You know, I actually asked that of my Twitter followers. Uh, like, I put a poll up every day, uh, or almost every day. Rob Bowman, NHL, I put up a, 
a Twitter poll, and I, I asked that question a while ago, you know, which pair of forwards, even if they're not on the same line, which yeah. pair of forwards is going to end the season with the most points? And because of this hot start, which, by the way, is the hottest start since the Legion of Doom, oh. uh, Eric Lindros and John Leclerc back in 96, really? uh, because of that hot start, a lot of people picked Kucherov and Stamkos, uh, whether they stay together, whether they're split up at some point. And uh, statistically, I can't necessarily argue that, although there's a lot of competition with Crosby, Malkin, mm-hmm. Ben Sagan. There's a lot of good duos out there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one more for you here, Rob, as far as the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, boy. Uh, for, for the Habs, you have Carey Price uh, not playing how people are used to Carey Price playing. Is it? Can they crawl out? of their hole and still make a push for the playoffs? Like, where, where do you, what do you think they have to do? They have to move Galchenyuk? Like, how did they get out of last? Montreal's a good team. Um, but for some reason, and we've seen this before, for some reason they get into these death spirals. I mean, we saw this a couple of years ago. <laughs> right. When everything went wrong, Carey Price got hurt, mm-hmm. right? And then every aspect of the game just started to circle the bowl. Like, everything fell apart. And the same thing's happening this year. Something's going on with Carey Price. And then the whole team seems to get affected by that psychologically. And aspects of the game that are actually solid are starting to crumble and fail. So, uh, you know, we've seen this happen in Montreal before. And they seem to recover when Carey Price recovers. So, I don't know. Take him out. Buy a mistake. You know, uh, <laughs> whatever you got to do. Go on vacation. Get Carey Price back on his feet, you know. Exactly. Actually, Rob, we got time for one more quick one with the World Series wrapping up. We saw the Dodgers, of course, take on the Astros, two of the most active users of analytics and statistics in Major League Baseball. In your opinion, what is the state of advanced analytics in the NHL today? Well, it's coming along, but I'd say there's, I don't know, less than a handful of teams that are actually doing it properly, that have Hmm. actually made a proper investment, that have... uh, you know, proper staffing. I mean, you need to have programmers, you need to have statisticians, sure. you need to have data analysts, you need to have trackers and all that. Uh, most teams are, you know, just hiring a, you know, a blogger or a recent grad, and that's it. I mean, they have the highest paid medical staff and the highest paid coaching staff and the highest paid, uh, you know, yoga instructors and so on, equipment managers, but they just don't want to make the investment that's required in analytics. And so uh, there's only a few teams doing it right right now, but it is growing it is expanding, and it will oh, hopefully someday uh, catch up to baseball. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time, and I want to remind people again to be sure to pick up Hockey Abstract 2017. Great holiday gift. English, French versions, electronic, physical copies, all through HockeyAbstract.com. And, of course, you're a great follow on Twitter as well, at Rob Volman NHL. Let's do this again soon. Yeah, you bet, Andy. Nice talking to you. All right. Thanks, Rob. Okay, Rob Volman. Now, after the break. A little reverse. Usually he starts off the show. He's batting cleanup, finishing things up. Travis Yost of TSN.ca joins me next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. position of Bailey. Now to Tavares. Top of the right circle. Shoots and scores! Now John Tavares has his second of the period. The Islanders have their third power play goal of the night and New York has a 6-1 lead. Back to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. Across the TSN radio network. Get us on Twitter, at TSN Analytics. Love to chat with you there, at AndyMC81. 
Folks, Travis Yost is going to be on the line momentarily. We're swapping spots here. He was in, in transit. Usually he tees off the program. We had Scott Cullen begin the show with Heroes and Zeros, followed by Jeremy Davis, Canucks Army, Rob Volman, author of Hockey Abstract and Statshot. Thank you so much for them coming on. Uh, Travis Yost will be with us momentarily. And guys, if you missed any of the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, of free, of course, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, the tsn1050.ca show page. Also, just go to the show section and go to the TSN Hockey Analytics show, and we have it uh, all listed for you there. On the line now, wrapping things up, a few minutes with the lovely and talented Travis Yost. Travis, how's it going, bud? Lovely and talented. Yeah. Your checks in the mail, buddy. <laughs> yes, all right. I'll take anything I can get, my friend. Okay, so we're, uh, we're up against the time a little bit here, so we'll get rolling. You wrote about how a steady decline in five-on-five ice time over a significant period of time could be a signal, uh, a flag for a potential trade. One of the most significant drops has been in Toronto with Tyler Bozak. What does that say to you? Well, it, it's Bozak, but it's, it's a few other players, too. The, the, one of the really interesting things is, uh, that I that I tend to out of favor with his coaches. Well, was he playing less and less at five on five? And Tyler Bozak has now seen his ice time at five on five drop in four consecutive years. And I think part of that, you know, he was def- obviously overused in, in the Randy Carlisle era. Uh, he found he's found a nice little middle six towards bottom six role with Mike Babcock, but he, he's definitely on the outside looking in. And I think everyone in Toronto is cognizant that he's not a long-term piece. I mean, his age doesn't really sync with, uh, nor his contract, for that matter, sync with where Toronto needs to get to in, in terms of their Stanley Cup outlook. So I, I, I could see one or both of him or James Van Riemsdyk, um, who's also seen a, a pretty steady drop in ice time being used as a trade chip. And I, I think the logical discussion point here is, can Bozak plus something get you maybe another another second-pairing guy right. on, on the defensive side. Because I, I think, it's it, again, it's another year where it's very obvious where the weakness on the Leafs team is, and it generally is in the defensive third. Um, Bozak, they're, they're loaded with forwards. Bozak's an interesting piece for a potential contender, although uh, I think James Van Riemsdyk's a sexier name. Either way, I think at the end of the day, one of those two names is moving out, and uh, I, I, would, I would guess that they have their eye on the defensive well, that's the thing, Travis, because for the Leafs, we know when you draft a defenseman, typically, like, we're still waiting to see the, the up, the full upside of Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner. Like, it takes a long time, typically. So, to just build through the draft, if you feel, if you're the Maple Leafs, you have a window to win that has come up quicker than you anticipated now, you gotta try to pull the trigger and get something to shore up that blue line. Yeah, and I this and we talked about this last year a lot, Andy. But the Leafs have caught, to their credit, they have caught a lot of breaks with player development, right? Like they've gotten a lot of names in that are better than we anticipated, and then they topped it off with an absolute superstar in Austin Matthews. The one, the one player that really hasn't went the right direction is Morgan Riley. Now, Morgan Riley is a fine NHL defenseman, but he is not a first pairing guy. He is, right. he has consistently shown that he is weak in the defensive zone. And it's, and it's hurt Toronto from time to time. And they, they've tried to find ways to best ice him and best utilize him. But at the end of the day, like all the vast majority of their forwards have developed in a very nice way. But the one position where they're weak and really needed a player to pan out, Morgan Riley, he's developed. He's fine. He's a, he's a solid NHL defender. He is not a great NHL defender, though. And I, and I think that's what hurts the Leafs is that, especially when they're protecting leads in the third or, you know, it's a high-scoring, high-tempo game. They don't have that pairing on the ice that you can send out there and say, yes, 
I am absolutely confident they will not give up a goal. Like that, that pairing yeah. doesn't exist right now. It, I think it's one of the big reasons why they were sniffing around Travis Hamannick in the summer. Mm-hmm. We've heard him link to a few names. I even think they were maybe maybe walking around the Dougie Hamilton stuff when that was popping last uh, about five six months ago. I, I, I could t- I, I would expect to see Toronto still in the market for a defenseman. And, and I don't again I don't put that on Riley, but they they don't have a pairing today that they can point to and say. Shut the, end the game. Shut it down. Lock right. it up. Like, that pairing just doesn't exist, right? No. No, they don't have it. Travis, unfortunately, we're up against the clock, man. We'll get much more in-depth with you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you, Andy. Take care, guys. All right. Travis Yost on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Check out all his great work on tsn.ca. Again, on Twitter, at Travis Yost. He's a tremendous follow. Okay. Great show, everybody. Thank you very much to our guests. For producers, Sean Lavery and Grady Sass, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics across the TSN radio network.